I'm bringing one of these up with me. Go for it. All right, can y'all hear me? Yeah. Let me make sure. I didn't really test this thing beforehand. Um, I don't really need it. But I'm just going to go ahead and blast everybody's eardrums out this morning. So we're in Philippians. If you're not already there, grab your Bible, your phone app, um, your scroll, whatever you got this morning. Philippians 4. We're going to spend some time there this morning. Give me one second. Here we go. So I want to ask you guys a question today. Um, and that is, what's on your mind? What's on your mind? That's a question that Facebook used to ask every time we log in. Um, I don't know if it still does because I don't really log into Facebook. But um, it's a question that I would think about a lot because Facebook was always asking me, what's on your mind? So we're going to talk about this morning, what's on your mind? What are you thinking about? Not necessarily right now because you're probably thinking about, holy cow, I should have brought earplugs this morning. But what's on your mind? What are you thinking about? What is dominating your thoughts? What are you meditating on? And while we think about that, I'm going to pray before we deliver the word this morning. God, we thank you so much for an opportunity to be in your word, um, to learn what it means to be your children, and to walk out what you teach us through the scriptures. I pray you're illuminating us this morning, that again, you get me out of the way and allow your word to speak to your people this morning, that we walk away changed, ready to make a difference this week, and we pray it all in your name. Amen. So the reality is what you feed into your mind matters. You have control over what you think. You have control over what you put into your brain. So we're going to talk about this morning what we think about. A few years ago, somebody recommended a, a series to me. This was like eight years ago. Somebody recommended a, a series to me. It was an anime. If you don't know what anime is, it's Japanese animation. Um, it's what everybody watches over in Japan. It's, it's, um, it's animated. There's anything from Pokemon to anime about demons. So it's all over the place. One thing that's really important when you talk about anime is that it's not cartoons. And what I mean is that if you tell somebody who's a fan of anime that it's cartoons, you're get, they're going to get really upset with you. They won't hurt you. Um, they're anime fans. They're nerds. No offense. But they're not going to hurt you. But you're going to have an argument on your hands. But a few years ago, somebody recommended an anime to me um, because they know how, uh, when it comes to entertainment, I like weird. I like outside of the ordinary, like outside the box. I like to be surprised. That's why I don't like Marvel movies, because um, I'm like, okay, somebody's going to get a superpower. They're not really going to know how to use it. Then a bad guy is going to show up and threaten them. They're going to almost lose, but then they'll win in the end. I already know how every Marvel movie goes, so stop taking me to Marvel movies. Um, but anyway, so I like to be surprised. So, so this person who knew this about me, that I like really weird stuff, recommended an anime um, that I should watch. So I checked it out. The plot of the anime is that... Um, Humanity has basically have, has walled themselves in one specific spot. I don't know if it's on Earth or where it is. But the reason that they built these massive walls around themselves, and some of you know what I'm talking about, is that the planet has been overrun by these giants that are absolutely grotesque and disgusting. Like, they don't have skin. There's, like, steam coming out of their bodies. And they eat people for no reason whatsoever. They're, they're not hungry. They just eat people. And so humanity has had to wall themselves into this one specific spot and they've got like sections. There's like the outside walls and then the inside walls and then the even more inside walls. And this anime starts with, uh, for, there's been peace for like hundreds of years. And then these giants break in and the whole first hour of this anime is absolutely disgusting. I'll put it that way. So I watched two episodes of this anime. Two. I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched two episodes. And by the time I finished watching it, I had to like pull myself out of this situation where in my brain, I was convinced that if I walked outside, I was gonna get eaten, right? I got myself into this really 
just a place of despair in my head. This thing had gotten into my head so much that like my brain was messed up after watching this thing. I didn't finish it, I didn't watch any more of it. I was like, that's awesome, that's way outside the box, you were right, but I'm not really interested in continuing to watch this. <laughs> but the reality was what I put into my mind affected my mental state and the way that I was thinking. Right, I was pretty messed up from watching that. Now on the other hand, there's a movie called Shrek that came out a few years ago. I've watched it about 475 times. And I've never finished watching that movie and been like in a really bad mood or like really jacked up the way that I was when I watched that first show I was talking about. I always leave watching Shrek in a good place mentally, right? And so the reality is what you feed into your mind affects who you are. It affects everything about your brain. And the reality is there's a battle for your mind going on. Everything about culture wants to dominate your mind. Everybody is fighting over your brain because once they get your mind, they get who you are, they get your actions, they get everything about you. And if you don't know that, just take a look at the video game industry. It's amazing what's happened. I'm not even that old, but in my lifetime, the video game industry in particular has completely changed. I remember when I was a kid, you could go to the video game store. There used to be those. It wasn't just GameStop. Um, you go to the video game store, buy a game, plug it in, and once you finish that game, you're done. You can go back and play it again, but it's going to be the same thing. But we're at a stage where you've all heard of Fortnite. Everybody knows what Fortnite is. Fortnite is a great example of how the video game industry has completely changed. Because the thing about Fortnite is you all know a teenage boy who won't turn the game off. They will not turn the game off. Um, I mentioned a skate ministry where we do Bible studies and skate church over in Houston. I remember going to pick up one of these kids one time. He was about 16 at the time. I went to pick him up, and I texted him that I was there. He knew I was coming, like, days in advance. And I texted him that I was in the parking lot, and I waited about 15 minutes with the other dudes that were waiting for us. Finally, I was like, what is going on, dude? Somebody go in and check on him. They came back two minutes later and was like, hey, he's wrapping up a game of Fortnite. He'll be here in a second. We waited, I'm not kidding you, another 20 minutes. We waited out there, and I texted this guy multiple times. I called him, he didn't answer. I was like, you know what, I'm going up there. I went up there, his mom answered the door. I was like, can you go get, I'm not gonna say what his name is, it doesn't matter. Can you go get him? We've been waiting out here for over a half hour. This is ridiculous, we're gonna be late. And so she went and got him. I could hear him in the background, hang on, I'm about to finish up. And I was like, dude, Jeff, like, uh, I almost said his name. Me and him had a serious talk after that about uh, showing up when you're supposed to, about not being addicted to Fortnite. But the reality is Fortnite is built in a way that you can't put it down. There's always a level that you need to get to, and as soon as you get to that level, um, there's something else that you're still working toward, and there's a daily goal that you haven't achieved yet. But once you achieve that daily goal, guess what? Your weapon needs to be leveled up. They create this algorithm, and this isn't just video games, it's social media, it's uh, your entertainment apps. Everything is designed so that you cannot put it down. If you have to take a break to like go to sleep or to eat or something like that, somebody's getting fired over there. That's the way that everything is designed to keep you indefinitely hooked on this thing. Because they're, they're, they're battling each other to dominate your mind. So there's a war going on for what you think about and what we feed into our mind matters. And if we're not careful, we can start to feed the wrong things into our mind. And that separates us not just from who we need to be, but from God, from who God has designed us to be. So as Christians, we can get ahead. We don't have to be dominated by whatever is fighting for our mind. We can prepare for battle. As Christians, we not only can, but we have to prepare for the battle for our minds. So how do we win that? Let's look again at Philippians 4. Let's look at the passage. We just read it a little bit ago. But Philippians 4, and we're going to read verses 8 and 9. 
It says this, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. How do we win the battle for our minds? The first thing I want to challenge you to do this morning, I'm going to challenge you to do two things. There's two main things that we want to take away from this verse, we want to walk away with and start putting into practice today. First of all, I want you to think about what you think about. And that sounds a little bit crazy. It sounds like I broke for a second. But think about what you think about. Honestly, consider what am I going to think about? What am I going to meditate on? And what am I going to allow to come into my mind? So this list that we just read has six things. True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellence, and worthy of praise. We need to think about these things. And this list is great. I actually preached on this at the beginning of the pandemic, um, but I really didn't spend that much time in it as much as I wanted to because I was preaching out of Philippians chapter 4. And so there really wasn't time to dive into what each of these words mean, but we need to think about each of these things and consider, weigh everything and filter out everything we think about through the lens of these things. So this list is a good starting point, but what do these words mean? We have to have a source, we have to have a foundation, we have to have a compass to understand what words mean. Without a compass, or without a source, it's up to each of us to decide what each of these words means. So it's important to understand the definition, not only from the dictionary, but what does the Bible say about each of these things. Otherwise, things can get real subjective real quick when we start to define words, right? It's like arguing over which ice cream flavor is best. And we've all had that argument. By the way, it's, it's um, chocolate chip cookie dough. Um, everything else is in the freezers at the grocery store, just out of respect, just to be nice. But that's the best flavor out there. That's the only flavor of ice cream, really. But things can get real subjective real quick. There's a, uh, there's a popular show that a lot of people watch. I'm, I'm not going to talk about shows this morning. Uh, we'll talk about other stuff, too. But um, a bunch of people I know watch this show called The Big Bang Theory because they think it's funny. And I've watched that show, and it's not no, I, I tried. I watched like three or four episodes because I was like, at some point, it's got to get to the funny part. It never did. But the reality is, it's not funny. And I'm humble enough to admit that that's my opinion. Some people think it's funny. A lot of people do. But once we start to just define whatever we want to based on our own feelings and emotions, things can get real subjective and we can start to disagree. So it's, it's important, it's crucial that we search the scriptures to find out what each of these words mean. We need to make sure that the Bible is our compass. When it comes for the source of what is right and what is wrong, make sure that the Bible, the scripture, is your source. So Paul was writing under divine inspiration, so let's figure out what each of these things mean. The first one is true. And the definition of true is very simple, being in accordance with the actual state or conditions, conforming to reality or fact, not false. And I think it could have just said not false, and that would have been sufficient. But the scriptures say a few things about what truth is. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we know that Jesus is truth because he said right there that he is truth. 
And if we trust the Bible to be God's word, we know that Jesus is truth. So what he said and what Jesus gave to us in the scriptures is a source of truth. John 8, 21 said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Jesus here is referring to the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, being the truth, and this is what sets us free. So think about things that are not false. Think about things that are true. And if we start to really meditate on what Jesus said is true, the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as well as the rest of the scriptures, then we'll start to understand, and we'll start to soak up this knowledge of what is really true, and we can feed that into our minds. So it sounds really simple, it sounds obvious, you've heard a million preachers say it before, but look to the Bible to see what's true, and to know what you should think of. The second word we see there is honorable. Honorable. The definition of honorable is worthy of honor and high respect. So anything that's worthy of respect. Anything that's worthy of respect. Revelation 4.11 said, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by you, by your will, they existed and were created. 1 Peter 2.17 says, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Romans 12.10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. So we start to see that the two main things worthy of honor are God and people. God created man in his own image, therefore people are worthy of honor. So think about what is honorable. Go to Matthew 22. We're just going to spend a minute in Matthew 22 and verses 34 to 40. And this is an extremely important part of Scripture that we don't want to miss. Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. If you know anything about Jesus, you know that there was a bunch of religious people that obsessed over this guy. They followed him around. They were always trying to trick him. Always trying to get him to mess up so that they could prove he wasn't who he said he was. And that's exactly what's happening in Matthew 22. Verses 34 to 40. It says, when the Pharisees, these religious leaders, heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, other religious leaders, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. You should love the Lord your God with all your mind. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So if you don't know at all what's going on in this passage, they were still following the Old Testament law. They were, they, these religious leaders were still obsessing over the Old Testament and all these laws that they were supposed to follow. So they decided to ask Jesus, which is the most important of the Ten Commandments? And we all know what the Ten Commandments are. And they thought they could trick him by getting him to say one was more important than the other, and they probably already had something planned for every answer that he could possibly give. Oh, this one's not important enough? We see these kind of conversations on social media all the time. People trying to trick each other. So they wanted him to say one answer so that they could trick him and discredit him. But instead, Jesus told them that if you love God and you love the people around you, that once you do that, you're following all of the Ten Commandments. And so instead of allowing, them to be, instead of allowing himself to be tricked, he turned it around on them 
and told them that the two most important commandments is to love God and to love people. So if we want to know what is worthy of honor, if we want to know what or who is worthy of honor, God and the people around us. So think about those things that are honorable and understand what it means to honor God and honor people. We talked earlier in this series about unity. I actually had the privilege of getting up here and talking about what it means to truly be unified in the gospel. But we truly need to think about that. What does it mean to have unity? Not just here at Griggs, but in the church as a whole, we need to be unified. We need to be respecting and honoring one another. And so often it's tempting to figure out what separates us. What's different about this person? How are they wrong and I'm right? That's always going to be the temptation, but we need to truly open up our minds to not only see things from other people's perspective, but to show honor to them by listening and allowing them to speak into our lives and to be unified with us. So think about honorable and, and, um, and think about that unity and think about what it looks like to truly honor other people. So true, honorable, just is the third one. Justice. The definition of just is guided by truth, reason, justice, and fairness. Truth, reason, justice, and fairness. It's warm in here, y'all. So what does that mean, fairness? What does that mean, justice? I want to point out a couple of scriptures that have to do with this idea of justice. Number one is Genesis 1.27 said this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created man in his own image. He didn't say that about anything else that was created, the light or the water or the animals or the plants. It was the people that were created in God's image. And we need to understand this concept if we're going to truly understand what it means to, to be just, to be fair. What does this mean from God's perspective? Well, God created man in his own image. And then in James 3, 9, it says about our tongue and about the words we use, with it we may bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So it's a theme we see throughout the Bible. It's not just something that was done in Genesis 1 and then never mentioned again. God created man in his own image. So as we think about what justice means, we have to think about the fact that every single person Every person that ever existed, every person that exists now, everybody in this room, everybody in the city of Greenville, in the state of South Carolina, everyone is created in God's image. And if God created each person in his own image, we know that God deeply cares for and loves every single individual. So when we think about justice, we have to have this lens of everybody that we see on the news, everybody in politics, the people we argue with on social media, the people that we work with, every single one of those people is deeply loved by God and deserves to be treated fairly, deserves to be treated with justice. This isn't my idea. This is the way that God created it. And that will radically shift the way that we approach justice and fairness. When we understand that every individual is created in God's image, they should truly be, be treated fairly. And this starts with us. This starts with us showing honor to people. This starts with us allowing ourselves to truly care about other people. And that includes your sister-in-law. That includes the coworker that you absolutely can't stand. That includes your boss. Um, that includes the idiot that always speeds down your street, 
right? We all have these people that bother us, and it's so easy to get into finger pointing or wanting the worst for people. The people we talk to, the people that cut us off in traffic. Everybody, even me, even I deserve justice and fairness. Everybody deserves it, so we need to shift our mindset in order to think about what is just and what is fair. Everyone is created in God's image. So justice, we need to think on that. The next one is pure, purity. Pure means free from anything of a different, inferior, or contaminating kind, free from extraneous matter. So purity is free from impurities. Um, an example of that, I, I had to read a little bit about um, jewelry and about what gold is, because I've always heard about carrots and things like that. I don't, I don't know anything about um, jewelry and jewelry culture or any of that stuff. But what I was reading is that 24 karat gold is pure gold with no alloy mixed in. And I didn't realize there was gold where they mix other things in. Did you guys know that? I had no idea. I didn't know that they mix other stuff in. That's crazy. Um, it's not really gold. It's, it's part gold, but it's also got a bunch of things mixed into it. So when we think about purity, we think about something that is free from outside influence. James 1.27 said, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep one un, uh, oneself unstained from the world. So we see something about justice right in that verse. What pure religion is, is justice. Treating the people that are the lowest, who cannot help you back. It's truly reaching out and serving those people. And then Philippians 2, 14 through 15, we, we talked about this um, earlier in this series. Philippians 2, 14 to 15 said, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent. So blameless and innocent, pure, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So we need to occupy our mind with things that are pure, things that serve, things that are just, free from contamination. But what does that mean? 1 John 2.16 talks about um, being free from the world, being separate from the world. And I've heard a lot of definitions for what that verse means. What is the world? How do we define what the world is? Does that mean we separate ourselves and live like the Amish, where we never communicate with anybody, we have no luxuries, um, none of that kind of stuff? What does it mean to be free from the uh, contamination of the world? But 1 John 2.16 go on, goes on to say the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life are not from God, but are from the world. So we think about what the desires of the flesh are that are contrary to the spirit. We think about the desires of the eyes. What do we desire and the pride of life? How are we, how are we uh, becoming proud about things of this world? Once we start to think about those things, that's how we know that we can be free from blemish. If we separate ourselves from these sinful uh, fleshly desires. And the way that we know what's pure, what's worldly, uh, What's right, what's wrong. The way that we know these things is, again, to meditate on the scriptures. It's simple, but we still forget to do that. We think about, we come up with every source we can for what's right and what's wrong, except for the Bible. So spend time in the Word, uh, ponder carefully what you're thinking about, and are the desires that are filling your mind of the spirit or of the flesh. And the more time you spend meditating on the Word, the more you'll be able to discern whether those thoughts are pure. Just a couple more. It says lovely. Think about things that are lovely. And this is a good one. The definition says charmingly or exquisitely beautiful. Having a beauty that appeals to the heart or mind as well as to the eye. 
Ecclesiastes 3.11 said that God has made everything beautiful in its time. Everything that God created, he considered to be beautiful. In Genesis 1, we already talked about this a little bit ago, but everything that he created, he said was good. So anything that God has created is by default lovely. And the reality is, man, we have a tendency to corrupt these things that God created. Because we're sinful and because we're evil, we have a tendency to corrupt these things. But think about what God has created, and these are the things that are beautiful. So we should seek beauty in what God has created. We should seek beauty in God. We should seek beauty in the Word and think on the things that are lovely. The last one, commendable. The definition is worthy of praise, and we're going to talk about that in a second because it literally says that in this verse. So we're going to talk about that one in a second, but we need to focus on things that are worthy of praise. So the goal in this verse, the goal of putting all these things into our mind, the things that are true, just, lovely, commendable, worthy of praise, all of these things, the goal is to focus our minds and to meditate on what is excellent and on what is worthy of praise. All of these things should move us toward excellence and move us towards thinking of what is praiseworthy. So excellence is better than good enough. Better than good enough, right? Um, as employees, we tend to leave well enough alone. Uh, that might be one of my own personal philosophies, whether I realize it or not. Um, recently had my employee evaluation with my manager, and it was good, it was fine. Um, but essentially what she was telling me, and, and, and you go through the evaluation, most of us have been through these, where you have to rank yourself and your performance and all these different things on a scale from like very poor to excellent. Your goal is excellent, it gets real subjective. We are talking about subjectivity earlier. Um, I really struggle with employee evaluations and having to fill these out because I'm like, what do these words mean? What is it between very good and great? Which one of these should I rank myself on? I never do excellent, right? Because that's always the wrong answer. I'm never going to be excellent at something. But it starts to get really hairy when you think about uh, what's good, what's very good, what is really good, what's excellent, what's like kind of good. What do all these things mean? So when we think about excellent, though, we know that that's like a gold standard. If you're performing at the absolute highest level possible, that is excellent. So almost nothing is excellent. There are very few things that can truly be defined as excellent, but when we start to gear our minds, when we start to truly think about um, things that fit into this list, the goal there is for our thoughts to be excellent and for our thoughts to be worthy of praise. So the goal with all these things is to think about what is excellent and what's worthy of praise. So I went to a, a concert downtown a few days ago um, over at the Peace Center. It was really, the coolest thing about this was after living in Houston for eight years and any event that I want to go to being an absolute nightmare because I have to pack up the car, drive 45 minutes to get downtown and find a parking spot. And then once I find a parking spot, I would have to walk four blocks because there was no parking anywhere close to the venue. It was really cool just to drive like 10 minutes and be at the show. It was really cool. So I went and watched Weird Al the other night. That was absolutely amazing. He, he played a crazy show. Um, one of my favorite things about this show was to look around me and see just like a sea of overweight white guys with long beards. It was like I've never seen such a high concentration of these dudes in one place, but it really felt like good company. And it was a lot of fun. Weird Al is hilarious. Um, one of my favorite musicians of all time. It's a great show. Um, but after every single song that he played, it would erupt into applause. And people were standing and, and just going nuts, losing their mind. It was a lot of fun. Um, 
But I'll be honest with you guys, I didn't clap after every single song he played. Some of them were absolutely hilarious, and I was like, yeah, that was really good. Other ones, I just kind of sat there and waited for everybody to be quiet so that he could play the next one. Because not everything he did, I felt like, was worthy of praise. It wasn't like every single song blew my mind to the point where I was like, yeah. But the reality is, some things are worthy of praise, other things are not. So we think about what praise is. And praise is showing appreciation or respect to something or someone. Think about whether or not your thoughts are truly on something that is worthy of praise. Is this really something that I can keep praise upon? Is this truly something that God would consider worthy of praise? So the goal with our thoughts is to think about things that are excellent and things that are worthy of our praise. And as you think about what you think about, consider whether or not God would consider these things to be excellent and whether God would consider these things to be worthy of praise. And the more we practice putting our minds on the things that God would truly consider to be excellent and worthy of praise, the more we develop these habits, the closer we will be to aligning ourselves with the kind of thoughts that our Savior wants us to have. So if that's not you right now, what are you going to do to start changing that? How are you going to start to adjust what you think about, what you put into your mind? Are you allowing the, the culture to win the battle for your mind? Are you allowing your thoughts to be dominated with things that are not excellent, things that are not worthy of praise? Or are you allowing yourself to be changed by the thoughts, by the things that you put into your mind? So think about what you think about. And then the second challenge to you, and this one's much shorter because there's, there's not words to define them, those kind of things. The second thing is very simple, but we always want to put our thoughts and we put the things into our mind, we always want to put these things into action. It's not good enough to be just hearers of the word, but we need to be doers. So don't just think about what you think about. Once you've done that, once you've evaluated what you're putting into your mind, I want you to be about what you think about. In James 2, it said, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and any one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? In verse 17, it says this, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So it's not enough just to tweak the, the things you put into your mind and to change the things you think about if you're not doing anything about it. We need to put action to the thoughts we have in our head. Because in James it said faith without works is dead. So read verse, um, read verse 9 again, Philippians 4, verse 9. Let's go back to that. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9. Paul said something that's extremely important. And we don't want to miss it. It's really cool what he said. He said, what you have learned, what you have received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So it's really interesting the way that Paul uses his, himself as an example. Because Paul was just a person. Now, he was great. He was a, a hero of the faith. He was a legend. When you, I mean, if you, if you think about, like, ranking, like, the worst person ever to, like, the best person ever, you're probably going to have, like, <clears throat> worst person ever, you'd probably go with, like, Hitler. Um, 
right? Or or the politician you don't like, who is exactly like Hitler, right? So we think about like the worst person, then we go to like the other side of the scale, we probably have to put Paul there. He's got guy that wrote most of the New Testament. Um, he did a lot of incredible things. He was completely sold out for Jesus, just to a ridiculous amount. Right? If we knew Paul in today's context, we would think he was insane. Like, dude, take a break. Watch a movie. Do something for yourself at some point. Paul was absolutely amazing, but he was still just a person. And if you actually, you don't have to turn there, but if you ever read Romans chapter 7, which I would encourage you to, Paul talks about this inner torment that he's always experiencing and this struggle that he has where, <clears throat> by the way, read it in the King James Version because it is absolutely amazing, the words that are used. Um, but he just goes back and forth on everything that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that uh, I don't want to do, I do. Uh, and the things that I do want to do, I don't do. Right? It just goes on and on and on about the fact that Paul wants to serve God, but inside he has these fleshly desires that make him do these things that he doesn't want to do. The battle for your mind was even going on all the way back when Paul was writing the New Testament. There was a battle for his mind going on, and he struggled to stay on track and to do the right thing. So Paul uses himself as an example, which is really interesting knowing that he knows his internal struggle. But he still says, follow my example. Not follow Jesus' example, not follow God's example, but follow my, a human, follow my example. And it's really cool that he says that. Because one thing we know is that the Philippians, they were struggling with persecution. These people were suffering when Paul wrote this letter to them. Paul was suffering when he wrote this letter to them. They were going through insane times where it would make so much sense for them just to give up, just to kind of throw in the towel and say, God, I'm done with this. This is too much. I'm going to try something else for a little while. I can't handle it anymore. But Paul is saying, follow my example of godly living. And Paul had been through just a ridiculous amount of things, imprisonment, beatings, shipwrecks. He was exiled, which that's hard for me to even imagine being like sent to like some remote island by yourself, it's crazy. But Paul had been through some things, and he said, in, uh, I'm actually gonna spoil probably one of the future sermons on this, but in Philippians 4.11, coming right up, he said, I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. And if anybody shouldn't have been content, it was Paul. Paul should have been bitter, he should have been angry, he should have been frustrated, but he said, I am content. So Paul, who is only a human, who struggles with sinful thoughts just like anybody else, he specifically tells the Philippians, follow my example. And the reason this is so important is because we, just like Paul, are just people. Each one of us struggles to think the right thoughts. Each one of us struggles to do the right things, to put action to our faith. But Paul tells them here to follow his example. And so to understand what Paul's example is, again, I'm going to point you to the Bible. Read the New Testament. Read what Paul wrote and you'll learn what kind of a person he was. It shouldn't just be the Philippians following Paul's example. We should follow Paul's example. We need to strive to live the kind of life that Paul was living. To think the right thoughts. To think about what is excellent and praiseworthy. And then to put into action just the way Paul did, because it's, it's really difficult, even though we should be striving to be like Jesus, it's really difficult to be that way because like he was fully God, so it's like, man, that's kind of cheating. How am I supposed to live up to that? But Paul was not, so if Paul could do it, you and I could do it too. Follow Paul's example. Yeah. A couple years back when um, COVID had everything shut down, and we, we all thought we were gonna die, 
Um, I remember watching, when I, was, I don't watch the news, I didn't watch this live, but I saw it on like Facebook or something. Um, one of the public health officials was giving the CDC instructions for um, how to handle yourself during the pandemic, how to protect yourself. And she kept saying, whatever you do, don't touch your nose, eyes, or mouth. She was very clear about that. And then she goes to turn the page and she goes, and you're watching like, are you kidding me? You just did it. That's what happens when we, when we think one thing, when we tell people that they're supposed to act a certain way, or if we even claim to be Christians and claim to follow this book, and then we go out and we don't. That's the kind of example that we set. We look like this public health official on national TV telling people not to touch their mouth and then touching her mouth less than a minute later. That's what we, need. That's what we do when we set the wrong example. We kill our testimony, and we know that society loves to point out double standards, that's like the only way that people argue now is, oh, well, what about this and that? Well, did you think? So we need to set that example. Don't just say you're about something, but be about it. So once we follow Paul's example, there's something that's really cool that we get from this passage. If Paul was a person, just like you and I are, and he was able to set an example for other people, then you and I have that same ability to set the example for others. So when you think about what you think about, when you start to put it into practice, what you're doing is you're not just living right because you want to live right. You're literally setting an example for people around you. You're actually making a difference. You're actually changing the world. We think changing the world means like being like a big preacher with thousands of people in your church, or we think about like running for political office or things like, or having like a massive social media following, like that's the only way to change the world. And when we start to think of it that way, we'll talk ourselves right out of making any difference at all. Because if the only way to change the world is to have a massive platform, then only a couple of people are going to be able to do that. But every single person in this room right now, including you, has the ability to change the world. Because if you set an example for one person in your entire life, that was something. That was a change, and it was in the world. So you've changed the world. So set that example for what it means to be God's children. Philippians 2, verses 14 through 15 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you might be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as light in the world. So we're described by Paul in the book of Philippians, we're described as lights in a crooked and twisted generation. And how is this possible? It might seem intimidating, it might seem difficult, or you might just not know where to start. How do I make a difference? How do I set that example? Think about something else Paul wrote. We've all heard this verse, but I don't think we realize just how incredibly important it is. It's really easy to miss. Galatians 5.22, and I want you to actually turn there. I want you to go to Galatians chapter 5. And verse 22, we all know this verse. We've all heard it a million times, but I don't think we grasp just how incredibly important it is. And when it comes to being about what we think about, this should be our starting point. This should be our cheat sheet. We should be in this verse all the time and thinking about these things. What does it mean to follow Paul's example? What does it mean to follow the Spirit? It says this, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. These are the traits that we show when we begin to follow the Spirit. We've talked a lot about our thoughts this morning. And what does it mean, uh, pure thoughts versus impure thoughts? What does it mean, excellent versus not excellent? What do all these things mean? Where do we go? What does it look like to put these things into practice? The difference is whether you're following the Spirit or whether you're following the flesh. And if you're following the Holy Spirit, that's when you're going to follow Paul's example. That's when you're going to follow Jesus' example of godly living. That's when you're going to set the example to the people around you. And think about the things in this verse. If you're living out these personality traits and you're living out these things, that means that you're following the Spirit. And if you're not, think about why you're not following these things. And it's probably because you're allowing your sinful desires, you're allowing the world to corrupt the way that you're thinking and the way that you're acting. So consider the fruit of the Spirit when you're trying to decide how do I know if I'm living right? And allow that to be your guide. So think about what you think about. Be strategic in what you put into your mind. Because the more you allow the world and the more you allow your flesh to decide and to dictate what thoughts you have, the farther you're going to get from setting this example that Paul mentioned. And then be about what you think about. Provide an example of godliness in your circles, to the people around you. Shine as lights in the world because you really don't know who's watching. I remember a few years back, and well, it was a long time ago because it was when I was in college. And I'll end with this. Um, Mitch does not remember this happening at all. I promise you there's zero chance that he remembers this happening. But um, I'm gonna write about Mitch for a second because I haven't known the rest of you very long. Um, and so I have a good example of Mitch. Uh, when we were in college at Bob Jones University, uh, he and I both had fairly big personalities. Um, we, we used to, we don't anymore. Now we're like completely normal, regular people. But back in the day, we were pretty loud, um, pretty obnoxious, definitely went against the grain in a lot of ways. But one thing about Mitch is that he was always positive. There were some people like us that were like really popular, but they were always complaining. They were very negative. They were very uh, self-centered, talking about themselves all the time. But I remember being in the dining hall one, one time, and I, I walked past Mitch. I didn't quite know what to say to him. Um, I said, hey, Mitch, how's life? And Mitch told me, he said, it's a gift, bro. That's exactly <laughs> what he said. I don't think you remember saying that at all. But here's the reality. I was actually having a pretty bad day when that happened. I was actually pretty grumpy, um, which I do more often than you would believe. But... I was having a bad day. I was thinking about how much my life sucks. I hate my life. I just I wish I could be somebody else. I'm so tired of all this. Life is the worst. Those were my thoughts that day. And then I went past Mitch, and he completely turned around everything that was going on in my brain by telling me, life is a gift. And I thought about that. I mean, it's not that deep. And it's a pretty simple thing to say to a guy. But I thought about that, and I was probably at lunch by myself, and that might have been why I was so grumpy. Probably somebody stood me up or something like that. But the more I thought about that, the more I thought, that is so true. God has given me this life as a gift. He's given me one life to live, and it's really up to me how I want to live that. And I still think about that to this day. That was probably at least 10 years ago. Every time I start to get down in the dumps, and I, 
I'm not even kidding you. It sounds like I'm exaggerating, but anytime I start to think life is blank, I remember when Mitch told me life is a gift, and that changes my perspective. All Mitch did was walk through the dining hall and say one sentence to me, and it changed the trajectory of my life. If you're able to change your thoughts and change the things that you feed into your mind and allow yourself to be transformed from the inside out, the example that you set for the people around you might change one person's life, and that's enough. So think about what you think about, and then be about what you think about. So we're going to pray, and we're going to walk this out as we go back to our jobs, go back to our lives, go back to family, whatever it is that we're doing this week, allow this scripture to change us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that to be a Christian is truly a blessing and that life is truly a gift that you have given to us. I want to pray over every single person in this room, regardless of what they're going through and what thoughts that they've been meditating on. And no matter what they're struggling with, I pray that you're working on their heart right now, allowing the spirit to change, not just the way that they think, not just the way that we think, the way that I think, but the way that we act. Allow our minds to be fed by things that are excellent and things that are worthy of praise so that when we all leave this building today, we can go out and change the city of Greenville, the state of South Carolina, and the world around us. We pray these things in the name of your Son. Amen.